Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Alex Kuro. And Alex, today we are talking about some drama that's happening in the Clark County between the Clark County Education Association and the Clark County School District. That's the union and the school district kind of butting heads. And then after that, you're going to talk to reporter Sean Galanka, who looked into voting numbers and voter registration. And at the end of the show, I'm chatting with reporter Noelle Sims about some outrage over some LGBTQ plus content that's being put into some libraries in Washoe County. Yeah, I'm excited, Joey. Let's get started. Alrighty, well, we are just a few weeks away from the start of the school year in Clark County School District and actually across Nevada. But we're talking about the Clark County School District today because the Clark County Education Association, which is the union down there, they represent the district's licensed educators. They were hoping to have a contract in place for the first day of school, which is August 7th. But unfortunately, negotiations have kind of broken down. They haven't been going very smoothly between the union and the school district, as we've seen by recent statements put out by both parties. So our K-12 reporter, Rocio Hernandez, is here to talk about what's been going on. You've been kind of dealing with a lot of bickering between the, the CCEA, the, the union, and the CCSD, the, the school district. So let's talk about what that means for students in Nevada's largest school district. Rosie, I'm going to start by asking, what are you seeing between the union and the school district right now? Yeah, like you said, things haven't been going as harmonious as we'd like them to be. So it seems like district leadership and the union have really been at odds at each other for months now based on what we've been seeing now in the public and their social media and the statements that they put out. I'm working on a story right now that is going to create a little timeline about all those tensions that we've seen going as far back as February. And it kind of started there, I think, at least publicly, when it was reported that the union and the district were having a disagreement over some proposed bonuses of at least $20,000 for teachers who work in certain low-performing elementary schools. February also marked the beginning of the 2023 legislative session And on the first day of the session, CCEA held a press conference here in Nevada where they called on lawmakers to demand accountability of the districts and not to increase its funding until they showed exactly how it would use the additional dollars that it could receive to improve on student achievement. And that's one of the things that CCEA and the union continued hammering out throughout the legislative session. Lawmakers did eventually schedule a series of meetings with all the districts, including CCSD, and they were pretty long meetings. And and from what I've heard, they've never really been done like that before, where they called on all 17 districts to come in and, you know, explain a little bit about what their district is doing and what challenges they're facing and how the funding could help them address those challenges. But more recently, we also saw that CCEA has been campaigning against Superintendent Jesus Jara and actually calling on Jara to resign as superintendent. They had a survey where they showed that a majority of their members don't have any confidence in Jara, and they've been calling him out and also pointing to some low-performing statistics and data showing that students aren't as proficient in reading and writing and math as others would like them to be. And just last week, actually, the district announced that some of its school's start and end times were going to be adjusted. And the district said in a statement that this was happening because the union refused to agree to continue or establish contract waivers that would allow administrators to extend the regular school day without, quote, additional unreasonable, end quote, concessions by the district. So those are just a few of the examples of the tensions that we're seeing right now between the district leadership and CCA. 
it's it's definitely kind of a lot of bickering happening and, and stuff. And it, it seems like it has gotten kind of ugly. And so in the middle of all of this, the union and the district are in negotiations for the contract for the next two years. So what is the union actually asking for and where is the district on all these asks? So primarily, one of the things that CCA is looking for is a salary adjustment of 18% for licensed educators over the next 10 years. So it would be 10% and 8% in the following year. And it's not really clear how much this would cost the district or what it would mean for the average pay for the average teacher. But Jara has told the Las Vegas Review Journal that this type of salary adjustment could put the district in the red. I also talked with CCEA Executive Director John Ballardita last week, and he said that he thinks, in his opinion, the district has enough money to pay for all of this, given that lawmakers and the governor approved an additional $2 billion in state funding for K-12 education over the next 12 years. And so that $2 billion is divided out between the districts. But for CCSD, this would bring up its per-pupil funding up to 8721 an increase of about 1360 which will increase its budget by about $397 million for a total of $3.2 billion. So lawmakers also approved an additional $250 million in one-time funds that the school district can apply for to help increase teacher pay. And Valardita also points out that during the years of the pandemic, the district received millions of dollars in federal COVID-19 relief funding. So just adding up all these things, he thinks that there's definitely enough money for the district to prioritize teacher salaries and get to the level that CCEA wants them to get to. Valardita said that CCEA is also asking for additional salary adjustments for educators that are in hard-to-fill positions as well as special education teachers. So those are just a few of the big things that CCEA is asking for in the district. So, Rocio, why is this new contract so important? So, as you know, Joey, Nevada as a state has historically faced a teacher shortage, and CCSD as the largest school district in the state is no exception, right? The school district started last school year with almost 1,400 teacher vacancies. And then this year, we're kind of looking at about the same. According to the district's website, it has more than 1,200 teacher positions open So if this continues on and they've only got a few more weeks left, right, to fill all these positions, it could mean that thousands of students will start the school year without a fully trained and qualified teacher. And we know that those that without a fully trained and qualified teacher, that does impact student learning. And Valardita said that teacher pay is the key to addressing the district's teacher recruitment and retention issues. He's pointed out to previous years when the district did increase pay. He said that the district has seen a history of increasing the pay and getting some of those teacher vacancies lower. Yeah. and I mean, and that's a big thing that we're always talking about, right, is what is that impact going to be for students? So what happens then if we don't get to a contract agreement between the union and the district? Well, Zabalardita said that CCA's membership is meeting at the end of this month to discuss its next steps, but he didn't say what kind of routes members could vote to take on. What we have seen in the past is that in 2019, the unit almost went on a strike. Until then, Governor Steve Sisolak stepped in and encouraged the district and the union to come together again and figure things out. And it looks like they did, and they avoided that strike. And in 2021, the union and district didn't come to an agreement until close to the end of the year. So I think it's ideal for the union and teachers to have a contract in place before the start of the school year. Otherwise, they're going to be paid about the same rate as they are right now 
going on to the next school year. But as we mentioned, CCEA is looking at these additional dollars that the district received from COVID from the legislature. And they're really thinking that given all these increases, that teachers deserve to get a boost in pay, again, for the reasons that we mentioned, the recruitment and retention. And so there's similar negotiations also happening around the rest of the state, right? Clark County is not the only school district, although it is a, it's probably like 70% of students in in the state or something like that. But how are things going for other unions across the district? So Clark County School District is also in the middle of negotiations with the bargaining unit that represents administrators, principals, known as CASAPI. Their executive director, Jeff Horn, recently told me that their negotiations with the district have been going in good faith but they don't have a tentative agreement in place yet, but he thinks that they're getting close. I also talked to other school districts like White Pine County School District. They're a lot smaller than CCSD, but the superintendent, Adam Young, said that his district negotiated a 10% cost of living adjustment for its licensed educators and other positions, and an additional 5% COLA going into fiscal year 2025. So like we see that's a smaller district where the negotiations are wrapped up, and we did see a nice boost for those teachers. In Washoe County School District, It looks like negotiations with its bargaining unit for licensed educators, WEA, is still ongoing. And last week, Reno Gazette Journal reported that the initial salary offer that the district made to WEA was too low for them. And so it's not clear if the union and Washoe District will reach an agreement before the start of school year there, August 14th. So we'll have to keep monitoring that situation as well and seeing how that goes. The cost of living just in general of the whole state has been going up. Rent is rising. Home prices are rising. Inflation. You know, we definitely see the the hit that that's taking on all of our paychecks when we go to the grocery store. Right. So for all those reasons, I'm pretty sure that's what's heightening the increase in demand for these teacher pay raises. All right. Well, Rocio, we'll end it there for now, but I'm sure you'll be keeping a close eye on all of this as we ever approach the, the, the start of the school year, August 7th for Clark County, August 14th for Washoe County. So yeah, it'll be an interesting, interesting start to the school year. We'll see how it goes, but you'll be on the case. So Rocio, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So after every general election, the U.S. Election Assistance Commission conducts a national survey that looks at voter turnout and many other numbers and changes when it comes to voting and elections. Sean, thanks for joining me today. And I was wondering if we can just start out by talking about the big takeaways from the survey in 2022. Yeah, thanks, Alex. So this is, yeah, a national survey of election policies, procedures, voter turnout. It's like the go-to source for election data across the 50 states. One of the key things I saw looking through this latest edition of the survey was a slight drop-off in turnout during the 2022 midterm election. I think we heard a lot of speculating about the the drop-off and the decline in turnout from 2018 to 2022. I think there were a lot of people raising alarm about the drop-off being bigger than it was because there was a significant drop-off in terms of active registered voters. But in terms of the overall citizen voting age population, Nevada's turnout declined pretty minimally from about 48% to 46.6%. And why, I'm very interested in this, do you think that that number did decrease? In, In terms of overall turnout, I'm not sure I could speak to anything more broadly, because I think the differences weren't weren't really significant enough. But in terms of the active registered voters, 
part of the reason we saw a bigger decline there, I think it was maybe a seven percentage point difference in turnout between 2018 and 2022, was because Nevada has significantly more registered voters than it did in 2018. And that was pretty much driven by the adoption of automatic voter registration in 2020. And that's because with automatic voter registration, basically anytime you go through a DMV transaction is an instance where your voter registration could be updated or unregistered voter could be registered if, if they aren't already. So we've seen a lot of people who aren't necessarily motivated to vote, but they're being automatically registered. And so that's kind of why uh, we're seeing that drop in turnout. And I know that the mail-in voting has changed. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that has changed and how that's affecting these numbers? Yeah, I mean, I think that was really the most significant change in terms of our elections between 2018 and 2022. It came about as a pandemic emergency measure where in 2020 we had widespread mail balloting. And then in 2021, Democratic lawmakers basically passed a bill permanently adopting that practice of of universal mail balloting. And that actually makes Nevada pretty unique nationally. We're only one of eight states, along with the District of Columbia, that has a universal mail-in ballot system. In years before 2020, the vast majority, probably 90 plus percent of ballots were being cast in person in Nevada. And a lot of that came during early voting. Nevada has a, a very long early voting period. But now in 2022, a little more than half of all ballots cast were were mail ballots. And as far as the numbers go and kind of the trends compared to these other states where there is also mail-in ballots, how does Nevada compare? Right. And so that was, I think, another really key thing from the survey is that compared to those eight other states, which that includes California, Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, Colorado, Vermont, some very democratic states, as well as Utah, compared to those those eight other states, Nevada was far, far behind in terms of male turnout. Nevada's recorded 50.7% male turnout in 2022. That basically means about half of all ballots cast came through the mail. Whereas with a lot of these other male states, they were seeing percentages upwards of 90%. I think the closest in terms of other states was Vermont at around 68%. But also relative to those other states, Nevada just has generally less turnout. That is funny because I've said this before. I'm from Oregon and we do mail-in voting. I vote by mail. Oregon was the highest on the list with 99.6% of ballots cast through the mail. Yeah, so I've seen it be really successful. It is a new thing here. Nevada is still getting used to the practice. It was only first used in 2020 during the pandemic. But I think some of the other states on this list, like I believe California, really only moved to this universal system as recently as Nevada did. And so there still is an ongoing effort to really get people on board with it. And I think it's also pretty clear in in one other metric from the survey, which was basically the percentage of mail ballots returned. So that was kind of measuring if we send out 100 mail ballots and 90 people cast votes through their mail ballot, that's a 90% return rate. Among those eight states that have universal mail-in elections, Nevada was dead last in terms of their percentage of mail ballots returned. So out of about nearly 1.9 million ballots sent to Nevada voters, there was only 28.2% of those that were actually cast and were used. And how do you think that is going to turn out in our upcoming 2024 elections? I think we'll certainly see that on the rise. One key difference was last year was a midterm election. This upcoming year is a presidential election. Generally, there's just higher turnout in presidential elections. So I think 
on the whole, we'll see those numbers rise. There will probably will be a little bit more adoption of mail-in voting just because where the state is at and people are getting mail ballots, they're probably more likely to use them. But I think it's going to depend. I know there's certainly some distrust of the system. The Secretary of State's office is working on some educational materials and voter education to let people know, hey, this is how our system works. It is secure. And we'll see if those numbers do really tick up in in 2024 and 2026. That's going to be interesting to watch. And I'm sure as it gets closer and closer, we'll definitely be talking more and more about this. But thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks, Alec. It was good to be on. Noelle Sims, welcome to the podcast. You are our intern for the summer uh, and you've been very busy. I have been very busy. So you've been reporting on this story recently on libraries in Washoe County. And there's kind of a lot going on in what's generally like kind of a quieter meeting. The library board meets to appoint new members and kind of make decisions about the library, right? But things have kind of changed a little bit in recent days, huh? Yeah. So the library board theoretically does not really do anything that people should get mad about. They basically are like, hey, how's the library director going? Is he doing all right? And then if he's doing his job, they're like, cool, good. And about last year, when the Drag Queen Story Hour happened last year, it's just the meetings have been like chaos. So you mentioned Drag Queen Story Hour. Explain what that is for people that don't know. So Drag Queen Story Hour is a event the library has been holding since 2019 but basically they invite a drag queen to come and read some kids books to kids and their families at the library usually have like an event at a couple different branches and it has been during june during pride month and so it just happens once a year during june they have drag queen story hour yeah once a year during june but basically for the last year like every month the library board meeting, there have been public commenters there to talk about what they feel is inappropriate content for children, including LGBTQ library books. So even though that's sort of a once a year thing, it's been a constant source of contention. Yeah. And this is this is a actually like a more of a national issue as well. Like this is being discussed nationally and it kind of is coming up in a lot of different libraries. It's not like this is unique to the Washoe County library system. Yeah, this is not unique to Washoe County. It's happening in Vegas. It's happening in rural libraries and it's happening all across the nation. We've seen a lot of states in the last year or so pass laws banning drag performances in front of minors and things like that. There's been a lot of legislation around that. There has not been any of that in Nevada. The people coming to these meetings are almost the same people every time. It's a very specific group of people that are very vocal. And so some of the contention that's happening right now is that there was a decision to appoint a new person to the library board recently. And what kind of happened there? How did that play out? Yeah. So yesterday I was in the Washoe County Commission chambers for eight hours. It was long. There were a lot of agenda items. One of them and the one that I was most interested in was the board was going to vote on whether or not to reappoint Amy Gillieri to the library board and she is the current chair and this vote that they made is like the only 
place that the county commissioners have any say over what goes on in the library world in Washoe County. And they voted three to two not to reappoint her, which I think came as a surprise to a lot of people. I spoke to Amy on the phone earlier today and she was not as surprised as some other people. She wasn't exactly sure. So a lot of people were there to speak about why they thought she was not a good fit because she was supporting Drag Queen Story Hour, LGBTQ plus content in libraries. And to be clear, the books that are available to children are age appropriate. It got pretty heated. There was yelling out of turn. There was, you know, a couple moments where it seemed like the meeting might have to go into recess, let everyone calm down. It didn't, but it was it was quite, quite heated. So I also wanted to talk about this is just talking about children's books. We're not talking about like books broadly throughout the library. They, they're specifically focusing right now, at least on, on, on children's books. So it depends who's speaking. Some people will say, you know, I'm not against homosexuality. I'm just against there being books with, you know, gay characters in them available to children. And there are some people that say that these books shouldn't be in the library at all. Mm-hmm. So it depends who you ask. Okay. So let's jump now to this vote to replace Amy Gilliari because she wasn't reappointed. So who is going to be replacing her? So basically at the end of the meeting, Commissioner Claire Andriola, she was kind of the surprise vote against Gilliari. And so at the end of the meeting, she then made another motion basically to open up an application cycle to fill Amy Gilliari's seat and another seat that became vacant on Friday when another board member resigned. So they'll start looking through that. They will have another sort of similar meeting where they've read through all the applications, talk to people, presumably, and then they'll vote to fill those vacancies, ideally within two months. But there have been library board vacancies for much longer. And Amy told me on the phone this morning that she's not planning to reapply. Mm -hmm. So it will be two completely new people. She could reapply if she wanted to, but she's not planning on that. So we've been talking about libraries, Noel, and you know this is a pretty interesting topic. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more discussion about it. But I, I wanted to end with something a little bit fun and maybe a little unorthodox for a generally new segment. But you and me are both big readers. What book are you reading? I, you know, give give our give our audience maybe a book recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> I am reading Fury by Salman Rushdie. It's my first one I've read of his. I know it's not his most famous, but it was two dollars at Grassroots, so going for that. It's really good. I would recommend it. It's not the happiest book. But I think it goes by pretty quick and it makes you think about the role that anger plays in our world and how we treat each other and how we treat ourselves. So, yeah. What are you reading, Joey? I'm currently reading a book called Death's End by Xijin Liu. I think that's how you say it. It's the third book in a big, sweeping sci-fi trilogy. And if you want to read the first book in the trilogy, it's called The Three-Body Problem. It's very popular. Mm. And it's really weird. (laughs) If you like a weird sci-fi book. It's also very long. It's like 800 pages. Oh, I might be out on that one. (laughs) Might have to just pass. Well, Noelle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more of your reporting soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We want to thank Rocio Hernandez, Sean Galanca, and Noelle Sims for being on the show today. The show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, along with Alex Kuro, and we have additional help from Michelle Rendells. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You can also email us at podcast at com. Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Alex Kuro. And we'll talk to you next week. 